appreciate Daniel your your comments during song service about resolutions and being presumptuous and all these things are going to come up in today's message and uh, happy new years we started new year it's pretty typical uh, conversation to talk about resolutions and are you planning to make any new year's resolutions this year and uh, think about and evaluate last year how did that turn out and what we plan to accomplish and and scripture does encourage us to examine ourselves uh, twice it does in 2 Corinthians 13:5 to examine ourselves whether we're in the faith and prove our own selves and uh, next week as we celebrate in communion in 1 Corinthians 11:28 examine yourself before we eat of the bread and drink the cup so there is a, a a thought there in scripture to take the time to examine ourselves and about our salvation and and um, in our life so what are your plans for this new year? As we start this year, there's a scripture that came to mind that reminds us that we shouldn't take this new year for granted. And that's in James chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. Go to now, you that say, today or tomorrow, we will go into a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. For that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. You boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. If I define my life this year by what I accomplish or what I accomplished last year, that is, what is that? That is idolatry of self. We are called to live in such a way that brings glory to God in all that we do. And as I was considering what message to bring on the first day of this new year, and thinking about how I would respond to the unknown events of this coming year, how will we respond to what happens this year? God brought to mind the thought of living by faith, in the face of the unknown. And there are some common scriptures that instruct us in this that came to mind. Uh, Galatians 2.20 I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. There's real encouraging scriptures in 2 Corinthians 5.7 For we walk by faith and not by sight. Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So since the scripture teaches us about the importance of faith, what is it? What does it mean to live by faith? How do we walk by faith? How do we please God by faith? A few weeks ago, uh, Brad's message in 1 Timothy, he gave us the definition of faith as Quote, resting in God's promises to provide, protect, empower, and guide in every situation in my life, end quote. And that's a wonderful definition. And we want to take some time today and expand and just review in our understanding of faith. So with that intro, let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and your challenge to us to live by faith. For without faith, it's not possible to please you. 
Grant us the grace to live lives of faith that would please you. Open your word to us today. Come and meet with us for we truly are needy people in need of your grace. In Christ's name, amen. So we're going to start today in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. And the first section is going to be the definition of faith. And we're going to, I'll just tell you the outline now. The definition of faith, the demonstration of faith, and the demand of faith. And we're going to start with the definition of faith beginning in Hebrews 11.3. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. And I would like to pull two thoughts out of our relationship to God out of this verse. First is the world and the universe were created by the world of God. This shouldn't be a new thought to us, but it's foundational to our understanding of faith. God is responsible for creating the world and all things in it, including us. God is our creator, and since God has created the world and everything in it, that means this world belongs to him. This world that we live in is his possession for him to use as he wants to use it. This world is our Heavenly Father's world, and everything in the world is a result of his wisdom. Each of us, all that we have, were created by him. All of our abilities belong to him, and we all are the work of his hands. When I take my life as my own and try to control it in my own way, bad things happen. For example, when a baby is born into this world, the only thing a baby knows about life is that this new family exists to make that baby happy. And the baby only knows about himself. And hopefully we grow past this stage and learn that life is all about our glorious creator. Children and life, they are a gift from the Lord. They're not our property, but they belong to the Lord, and they teach us about our Creator. My job doesn't belong to me. It doesn't exist to fulfill my financial dreams. Our employment belongs to the Lord and for His glory. Everything in our life belongs to our Savior. All that we have, our time, our God-given talents, our treasures, are to be used for the glory of our Creator. Everything that happens to us this year is for the glory of our Creator, his purposes, and the good of his children. All life is a gift from God, and this fact is foundational to our understanding of faith. When we take life as our own, we can become unmerciful and do all kinds of evil things when we think life is about us. 1 Corinthians 6.19 What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And you remember the story when Jesus was asleep and his disciples were in a ship, and the storm came upon them, filled the boat with water. They thought they were about to perish. Jesus stood up, rebuked the wind and the storm, and there is a great calm, and in Luke 8.25, Jesus says, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, wondering, saying to each other, What manner of man is this? Even the wind and the water obey him. God is our creator, 
And as these disciples were afraid of their situation, and Jesus asked them, where is your faith? In the same way, when the unknown happens, we are called to remember that our God has created all things for himself so that we can live for faith. Proverbs 16.4, the Lord has made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked, for the day of evil. Second, since God is our creator, he is also the sovereign king over our lives. This world is ruled by a personal God who cares about his creation. God determines when we will live, where we will live, and he's very personally involved in our lives. We like to think that we are in control of our lives, but our lives are ruled by the Lord, and the goal of our life shouldn't be to control our situations and people and things that happen, but our goal is to rest and submit in humility to the sovereign will of the King of Kings and to know the will of our Heavenly Father will be done. True biblical faith knows that we are His creation and his sov- He sovereignly loves and cares for His people. Faith can only be found in a holy, in a wise, a loving, compassionate, merciful, gracious, sovereign creator. God is our creator, and that means I am his creature. God alone is sovereign, and that means I am not. God is our creator, and he is our king. Ephesians 1.11 To whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his will that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ. Let's bring two P words under this heading of God's sovereignty, two opposites, that of presumption and that of promises. The first, faith is not presumption upon God. Presumption is a word that applies to me when I take my own opinion as faith instead of God's promises from his word. When I presume that my thoughts are equal to God's will, that is presumption. And there was a time when God's people presumed upon him. Actually, there are several stories from Scripture, but let's take a look at one example in 1 Corinthians 10, when the people of God presumed upon him. Picking up 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud. And all passed under the sea, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink. And they drank of that spiritual rock that followed him, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters as some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day 23,000. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of the serpents. Neither murmur ye as some of them murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for examples. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the worlds are come. 
Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation, temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. We should not presume that lusting after the evil things of this world is not idolatry. And the opposite of presumption of our own opinions is to believe God and to take him at his word. We trust God with our souls, with the very, our very souls for salvation, which brings us to the next word of promise. And there's some tremendous promises given to us by God in 1 John 2.24. And this is the promise that he has promised us, even eternal life. What a promise. And we are told Abraham was strong in faith. What does it mean to be strong in faith? In Romans 4.20, Abraham did not staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Abraham was fully persuaded that what God had promised, God was able to perform. What a picture of God's sovereignty in our life. True biblical faith is our confidence because of the sovereignty of God. Faith is founded in the reliability of God's promises. I believe that God exists, and because he's my creator, I believe that God's promises written in his word are absolutely reliable. Faith brings God's promises of the future into reality for us today. And third, thought I'd like to pick up here in Hebrews 11, verse 6. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We must believe that God exists, and we must seek our God Diligently. How do we seek God? Well, Paul tells us in his sermon at Athens in Acts 17.30, The times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Because he has appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness, and by that man whom he has ordained, whereof he hath given assurance to all men, and that he raised him from the dead. We seek God through repentance. We seek to know God through his promises in his word. And as we see all the problems around us in this world and the wars around us and watch this world disintegrate and we look at all the sin in this world globally and then we forget to look personally and too many times we make excuses for our behavior by all the evil in the world around us. There is not a day that goes by that my sin doesn't remind me of my need for repentance. We need forgiveness. When we talk about Jesus as our Redeemer, I must admit that I'm not okay, that I need a Redeemer. We need the power of God's deliverance, and we need to be rescued from our sin. Either we demonstrate faith 
or faithlessness. My life does not belong to me because my life belongs to my Creator. True biblical faith begins with the knowledge of God and results in a repentant life that is lived to please our Lord. And then God gives us many wonderful illustrations in Hebrews 11 of people who live by faith. But I want to focus on the first three given to us of Abel, Enoch, and Noah and see how they responded by faith. So the first man given to us is in verse 4. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and by it, he being dead, yet speaks. So first, faith leads to worship. And this verse, also in Matthew twenty-three thirty-five, Jesus described Abel for us with the same word, righteous. Righteous Abel. Abel was righteous, and what did Abel do? He worshipped God appropriately. He offered a sacrifice that was acceptable to God. What is our reasonable worship to our God? By the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. Romans 12, 1 and 2. By faith, Abel worshipped God. And when we acknowledge our God through worship, and we worship him in a way acceptable to him, we grow in our understanding of the worship that is due our creator. And the worship is what we do through the content of our living. As we gather here to, to, to fellowship and worship, the ultimate purpose of church service is to worship our creator. And the purpose of everything we do in our lives is to bring glory to our creator in an act of worship. Abel worshipped God even though it cost him his life. By faith, Abel worshipped God and his life still speaks to us of the importance of worshipping God. By faith, we worship our God corporately and in our families and privately. Hebrews 10.23 Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise. And let us consider one another to provoke each other to love and to good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. There is a significant cost for each of us to gather together for a time of worship. There's a cost of humility, the cost of time and effort and travel. And Abel's life still speaks to us that the effort of worship is a part of a life of faith. And our Creator is worthy of the effort. He is worthy of all worship. As King David said in 2 Samuel 24, 24, I will not offer burnt sacrifices to the Lord my God, that which costs me nothing. The second man given to us is in verse 5 here. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. 
In Genesis 5.24, we're told about Enoch's life. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And Enoch demonstrates for us a life of obedience to God. So the second point is faith leads to obedience. James 2.14 What does it profit, my brethren, though a man say he has faith and have not works? Can faith save him? And James is asking us a great question here. Can faith save without obedience? Does faith mean anything without obedience? Continuing in James 2.15 If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say to them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what does it profit? Even so faith, if it has not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Thou believest there is one God? You do well. The devils also believe and tremble. But thou, O... But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not our Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which said, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she received the messengers and had sent them out another way. So, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. What a tremendous encouragement to us that faith leads to obedience. And Jesus one time was asked, about his family in Luke eight twenty one, And Jesus answered and said unto the people, My mother and my brethren are those which hear the word of God and do it. And when we embrace God as our creator and our king, we give our lives in obedience to our righteous Savior. And true biblical faith results in the desire to obey our Lord. The wind and the waves obeyed their creator when the disciples were there in the boat that day. How about us? Do we obey our creator? By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had translated him. For before this translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. The third man given to us here in verse 7 is that of Noah. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. So thirdly, faith leads to endurance. Noah, we remember, built the ark by faith. And that is a building project unlike anything any of us have ever done because it lasted about 120 years. And today, we still enjoy the benefits of Noah's labor, the labor of Noah and his sons. A life of faith is a life of endurance. 
when we don't lose heart because we don't get what we want in this life, but endure without growing weary because we're trusting in our sovereign Lord. Noah faithfully endured even when the people around him mocked him for obeying God. Noah demonstrates for us endurance, not based on our own desires that change every day, but upon our faithful, sovereign God that does not change. When we belong to our Creator and we rest in His sovereign will, and when we embrace repentance, trusting His forgiveness, and our life does not have to be dictated by our circumstances or emotions, but our lives can be steadfast in a God that does not change as God brings perseverance into the way we live because we're anchored to our God. When we're content with God as our king, with his control of our lives, then we can live a life of faithful endurance. Hebrews 10:38, The just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them which draw back unto perdition but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. So let's bring these three thoughts about God and these three examples together into a definition of faith. A life of faith knows God as our creator, as our king, and our redeemer. And this understanding of God leads to a life of worship, a life of obedience, and a life of endurance. Living by faith requires rescue from our sin, for by grace we are saved through faith, not of our own works, but the gift of God, not our own works, so that we cannot boast. Let me give that definition again. A life of faith knows God as our creator, as our king, and our redeemer, and this understanding of God leads to a life of worship, obedience, and endurance. Let's take this definition now and apply it to some examples in Scripture. And let's move on now to faith demonstrated, the demonstration of faith. There's many examples. We'll look at two of them. The first is in Daniel chapter 3. There were three men that would not worship an idol. They would not obey their government in sin. And they endured to their upcoming death. Let's pick up in Daniel chapter 3, verse 14. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, suckbot, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, You fall down and worship the image that I have made. Well, but if you worship not, you'll be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. Who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto you, O king, we will not serve your gods, nor worship the golden image you have set up. 
Just what an example these men gave. Our God whom we serve, we will not serve your gods. We will not worship your God. We will worship and obey our God, even unto death. They worshiped the true God, they obeyed the true God, and they endured to the end. There's another example in which Jesus said that a woman had great faith, and it's given to us in Matthew chapter 15. When a mother with a sick daughter came to Jesus with a request, let's pick up in Matthew 15, 21. Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she cries after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meat to give the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. And she's a wonderful example of someone who worshipped our Savior, obeyed and endured testing for the glory of the Lord. So we started out with the definition of faith, saw a few examples of faith demonstrated, and that brings us to the point of the demand of faith. What does faith demand from us? Hebrews 11.6 Without faith, it's impossible to please God. There was a desperate time in history when the government leaders were only interested in dishonest gain. They didn't care about which innocent people were hurt. They oppressed the people to achieve their wicked intentions. The violence was on increase everywhere in society. The righteous were surrounded by wickedness. The righteous saw iniquity everywhere they looked, and justice was perverted. And this description is given to us, not from today's newspaper, but it's a description about King Jehoiakim, who reigned in Judah about 2,700 years ago, part of which is given to us in Jeremiah 22:17. You have eyes and heart only for dishonest gain, for shedding innocent blood, and for practicing oppression and violence. And Jehoiakim is described for us in 2 Chronicles 36.5 in this way. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem, and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. And God sent another prophet to Jehoiakim at that same time, a man called Habakkuk. And when he saw the wickedness in, the, in his country... He had some questions for God. Picking up in Habakkuk 1, verse 2. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? 
Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and conflict or contention arise. The law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. How long will this continue, O Lord? I don't understand your time schedule with evil. The king was evil. The society was becoming increasingly corrupt. God, why don't you do something about all this evil? How long will God allow people to spit at their creator? But if God were to bring judgment and remove evil from this world right now, many of us without Christ would be instantly annihilated under the weight of our sin because we're part of the corruption of this world that grieves us. How long will evil continue? The world that we know is the world that man has spoiled with sin. And when I think about evil in this world, I don't have to think any further than myself. When I think about evil in this world, I don't have to remember any further than myself. And when I think about causing other people to suffer in this world, we don't have to look globally. I can look personally. When I think about the root of sin, I realize that it's in my life, in Habakkuk, as well as myself. And we need the cross of Christ. When we think of evil and suffering and pain, we should not separate these things from the cross of Christ. When something unexpected happens this year and we ask the question, why did that happen? We must also ask, why did Jesus have to face the wrath of God for my sin? When we think of the evil in this world, we can look and see that Jesus was on Calvary, bearing up under the penalty for my sin. And in Christ, we have the answer for our sin. Habakkuk was very perplexed at the sins of his country and why God was silent. Habakkuk is a great example for us to follow. When he didn't understand his situation, he turned to God and God graciously answered him. When we have difficulties this year, we should follow his example and in our need. Lord, I turn to you as my Savior and my Creator. And the Lord answered him in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. God told him the answer to all the evil that we see surrounding us. The righteous shall live by his faith. The demand of faith is to worship our Creator in spite of all the evil that surrounds us. The demand of faith is to obey our Creator in spite of all the disobedience that surrounds us and tempts us each day with evil. The demand of faith is to worship and obey our Creator with enduring faith when all others forsake the Lord. This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. Lamentations 3.21 It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeks him. It is good that a man should both hope 
and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord? Will we turn to Christ in faith? The step we need to take in our uncertainty is a step of faith. But then we run into the problem that we all face, that of pride. I won't do it. Or maybe we say, I won't give it up. Great is God's faithfulness to us each and every morning. And as we look around us, we see that we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses of God's faithfulness. So let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Better planning, more money, more glamour doesn't do the Lord's work. The Lord's work is accomplished by God's people who are motivated out of love for our Savior and obedience through faith to worship our Lord with endurance. Another aspect of the demand of faith is given to us as Paul wrote a letter to the church in Thessalonians. And he started out remembering of the things they had done. Let's pick up in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and your labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father. Faith, love, and hope were implemented by this church in their work, and in their labor, and in their patience. And it's a great example for us to follow. And an application for us, a faithful husband is a faithful husband because he loves his God above all else. A faithful worker is not a faithful worker because he has an awesome boss, but we can be faithful workers because we have a glorious God that is worthy of worship. A faithful neighbor is faithful because he finds fulfillment in obedience to his Lord, not his neighbor. Faithful parents are not faithful parents because their children are perfect little angels, because children are a gift from the Lord and they are created in the image of our glorious Lord. Paul remembered their work and labor of love to that church there in Thessalonians. And our Creator also has something to say about our work and labor this year. In Hebrews 6.10, For God is not righteous, unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have shown toward his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints, and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater He swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained 
the promise. Our work of faith, our labor of love, is not to be done in a slothful way, but we inherit God's promises through faith and patience. So as we wrap this up, will we trust God's faithfulness this year and live by faith? Will we worship God? Will we give our lives in obedience to Him? Will we seek His grace as we endure the joys and trials this year by faith? May God's blessings be upon us as we start this new year, as we seek to live by faith. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and the challenge that always instructs us to live by faith. May we do so worshiping you as our creator, for you are due all worship, and we adore you and love you for what you have done for us, for our salvation and the price paid by our Savior for us. Thank you for your grace to us. In Christ's name, amen.